The scripture reading this morning. Oh. The scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the first chapter of John, beginning with the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we um, thank you for the worship we've engaged in this week and this morning. We thank you for the reading of the word. We thank you for the worship team prompting us. Lord, you are the audience. We are the worshipers. And we anticipate the Lord's Supper as we recognize and receive you and relate to you as your children. And now we pray, Lord, that you would um, bless the word preached and we would focus exclusively on Jesus. We thank you for the name of this church, Christ Central. And we pray every day when we think of that name or tell people where we go, it would be because we keep Christ Central in our heart. 
In Jesus' name, amen. One verse today, okay, because it's Christmas Eve. One verse. There was a man sent from God. He came as a witness to witness. We saw a couple weeks ago that becoming a Christian means four things. John, in this prologue, really um, sets the tone for the rest of his book. All the themes of the chapters in John are really found in the first chapter and really the first 18 verses. And when someone, when we meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus, usually we point them to what book? Why? Because it's about people. Not that the other books aren't great. Mark talks about Jesus as the act of God. Talks about miracles. The synoptics are really telling the story. But John looks at it in a different way. Howard's been preaching through a series on people. What was it called? I forgot the series. God's reasons why. Okay. The sermons have been amazing, right? I know you've missed them. Um, but Amari's amazing too. So we're going to look at John as an example and continue that series, God's Reasons Why. And what I want you to see today is that you are witnesses who witness. That's what it means to keep Christmas. We're witnesses who witness. Someone says, what's a Christian? A Christian is someone that witnesses who witness. So there's some notes here. I'll try to follow them. Um, and John the Baptist was sent by God. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, gives us the great command, commission, right? What does he say? As you're going, he doesn't command you to go. He expects Christians to be going, going into the world, going into their families, going to the marketplace. As you're going, I want you to make disciples, make followers of Jesus. As you witness, we want you to make witnesses, right? Very simple. We want you to reproduce yourself. As a child of God, we want you to share the gospel. Let your light shine in such a way that people see that. So we want to see this today. And I want to start with this story. Um, I just heard it this week. Uh, John and Mary were driving. Um, they're from Oregon. Now, nothing against Oregon, but there's not a lot of churches in Oregon. Anybody from Oregon? Anybody know anything about Oregon? No, we're in the South. Charlotte has more churches, right? Don't we have the most churches of any place in the country? I think we do. Oregon does not. And so you have a couple, I don't know if they were millennials or not, but you have a couple that's driving by this church, and it says, keep Christ in Christmas. Have you all heard that saying before? And John turns to Mary and says, I can't believe it. They're now bringing religion into Christmas. That is a wow, right? And Jesus came into the world. And even though he created the world, the world did not recognize him. They didn't see him. They're blind. Unless God opens your eyes this morning, you're not going to see. You're not going to know yourself, as Socrates said or you're not going to know others. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Wow. All throughout the Old Testament, it talks about Jesus. 
Jesus is the one and only. So let's look at what it means to witness. Now, John writes in a, in a context where you have three basic cultures. You have the Jews, the Hebrews, you have the Greeks, and you have the Romans. Now, the Jews prized the light. They were all about the light. John talks about it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was the light. Thank you for this. Um, and in that light, that light was what? The life of man. The Jews were about light. Anybody know what the Romans were about? Glory, right? It was a, they talked about glory. They championed glory. They had a mindset that we're going to conquer the world because of our own glory. And how about the Greeks? The Greeks valued wisdom and knowledge. And I love this verse. The God who said, what? Let light shine. He commanded the light to shine out of darkness. The light of Jesus Christ to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light, that's what the Hebrews look for, the glory, what the Romans look for, and the knowledge, what the Greeks look for, in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for glory today, you're looking for knowledge, and you're looking for light, there's one place to look at. It's at Christ Central, right, where we keep Christ Central. So, let's look at what does it mean to be a witness? Now, I said this, I think, a couple weeks ago, but when I studied this chapter 20 years ago, it hit me. Being a witness is a noun before it's a verb. When we talk about going witnessing, the first thing we should talk about is seeing Jesus, right? But all the emphasis is always on telling other people about him. And the reason we're terrible evangelists, many of them in the church, and I was too, is because we tell people about Jesus without seeing him. Do you hear that? Listen, y'all, I haven't read that in a commentary. I think God just downloaded it to me one of the few times. But we, if we're going to go witnessing, and we'll see that next, we got to witness Jesus. Do you hear that? So... The great mistake that you and I make, and ministers make, Francis Schaeffer said, the great mistake that ministers make is they do God's work their way. And doing God's work our way means we're doing God's work without witnessing. That's why pastors and elders are to give themselves to word and prayer. In other words, those are the means in which we communicate. If you're going to have a deep relationship with your wife, I'm learning this you got to listen first, right? That's what prayer, that's what the word is. You're listening to her words. And then you pray, not to her, but you know what I'm saying. You talk back. And it's a dialogue. We make Christianity so religious. Prayer is simply talking and listening to God. Reading the word is listening to his voice because this is living. We must see God. Now, how do we see God? We listen to his word. I like Malcolm Muggeridge, quoted him before, but this is what he says. In the beginning was the lie, and the lie was made news, and it dwelled among us, graceless and false. Let me read that again. This is Muggeridge. He's a Christian, by the way, but he's a media guy. 
He's not talking, he's talking about fake news, right? And fake news is anything out there in the airways coming for our lives that does not honor Jesus Christ as the living word and says wrong things about him and wrong things about us and wrong things about others. When he comes and says he's full of grace and truth, that means the word he gives, if it doesn't make us gracious and truthful in, in, in interacting with whoever, the truth of the gospel, letting them know they're delivered and free, not just talking about the law and how they're messed up, but really believing that God can deliver even the worst of us. So let me read it again. In the beginning was the lie, and the lie was made news and dwelled among us, graceless and false. When you turn on the news today, is there a lot of grace in it? When you hear political discourse, is there a lot of grace in it? No. Both parties. I'm not going to get on that. Is there a lot of truth out there in the news? What's the answer? We have the answer. And the more we look at Jesus, the more truth we say. Truth about ourselves. We're able to say we're broken. Here's the other quote from Mugridge. All happenings, great and small, are parables whereby God speaks. Every single thing that happens in this world is a parable in terms of how God speaks to us. Evil things that happen point us to Jesus. Good things that happen point us to Jesus. His truth is everywhere. We just got to see. We got to recognize that truth. And you and I commit practical atheism every day, right, when we don't live by the truth and we forget the gospel in our lives and we start complaining and grumbling and doubting and all that. We all do that on a daily basis. And the reason is we really don't believe God is the one that was the eternal word, that he governs all creatures and all their actions. He created all things. There was nothing created, right? Nothing created. Even race cars, right? We work at Gibbs, do that on Mondays. Everything that you make, he's created in and through you. How do we see him? Kelly talked about it. You know, see, I love C.S. Lewis. I can't go an hour without quoting him because he's a whole lot smarter than me. Or most people, well, frankly, everybody I know. I love this. It stunned me. And I, I, his book, Miracles, you should read it. It's a really good book. Anybody read the book, Miracles? Well, maybe we'll do a Bible study on it or something. But C.S. Lewis says this, the greatest miracle of all time is two words, he came. Listen to that, the greatest miracle, because you see, he saved us to be with us. Salvation is not the end, salvation is the means to intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so his word now becomes in us, right? His truth now becomes in us, and his light becomes in us. And so we let that light shine. And so the miracle of all miracles is that God came. Do you realize in the Old Testament where God dwelt? In the beginning, in the garden, where did he walk? 
He walked with Adam and Eve. In the cool of the day, the spirit was there. There was face-to-face fellowship. There was evil in the garden as well. And they chose wrongly. They chose wrongly. And then you see God bar that way into his presence. And he meets Noah, right? And he redoes everything. But then he realizes, or the, he redoes everything. Everybody gets killed, right? Except for Noah and his family and all the animals. But when they come out of the ark, it says the thoughts of their heart are only evil all the time. That's, that was man before the ark. That's us afterwards. If you don't know Jesus, the thought of your hearts are only evil all the time because you're, I'll unpack that some other time, or Howard will. Here's what Dorothy says, Sarah says. From the beginning of time until now, the fact that he came is the only event which ever really happened. From day one in the scriptures, it was about God's presence. And one of the amazing things to Abraham is Abraham, as Jesus said, saw the day of God. He says, behold the Lamb of God, right? There's the Lamb. John says, behold the Lamb of God. It's the one who saved Isaac. It's the one who took place. And then what did God do with Moses? He came down and he dwelled among the people of Israel. And he talked to Moses face to face. How about David? Did God speak there? And the prophets. But in the New Testament, God is not only among us, he's in us. Y'all, that's just stunning. It's just stunning. I don't even know what to say. That's Christmas. That's the present. That's what we need to live on and believe in, that he is with us, that we can grieve and quench and resist the spirit, but we can also give God joy. Do you realize God can be pleased with us? How can we please the one that's eternally in joy, the one that's eternally in truth, the one that existed in community, perfectly satisfied, and yet he created us? And the life of man is seen in beholding God. You know what the glory of God is? Man fully alive, full of his presence. And so I am begging you today, and I want you to hold me accountable. Look, I'm like doing, it's not been announced yet, but I'm like one of the, like the assistant to the assistant pastor, and I'm doing global outreach. And I was convicted doing this sermon this week. Because you know what I've been talking about? Outreach. I've been dreaming about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about all the strategies. And you know what happens when Tom Henry does that? I miss Jesus. I start focusing on witnessing and not witnessing. I want you to hold me accountable. Karen does, amazingly. And when I'm not witnessing, witnessing she's the first one to know that. Sorry, babe but you should be too. And what we need to do here is make sure that Christ is central. Every time we hear those words, we need to ask ourselves and be reminded to go back and look and witness and see. The theme of John over and over again, what Jesus says is come and see, go and tell. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we've seen his glory. That's what John's saying. We've seen his glory. We've seen his essence. We've seen it, and we still see it. And, and you know what the Bible says? That there was no one like John. He was the greatest of all prophets, but he's the least in the kingdom of God. What? And he says, we're greater than John. Now, I don't really believe that, but it's in Scripture. <laughs> and you know why we're greater than John? Is because we see more. We've seen, he died early. We've seen the full manifestation. As Hebrews 11 says, there's a great cloud of witnesses, and they witness up there. And they died in faith, not receiving the promise, but we have. And not only do we look back at Christmas, but Christmas equally is about looking forward to the second coming. And you and I should have a death wish. That's what Paul has. To live is Christ, but to die is better. Christian funerals are tragic, particularly when they happen to kids. But you know what? Sometimes God takes us out, as Isaiah says, because the days are evil. And he brings us into himself. And that's why we grieve at death because it's a sting. But we grieve as people with hope. We're a witness. We're a witness. And the people around us, we need to be grace givers. You know why? They don't see God. We need to cut our family a giant break. Now, really? Um, some of the people in my family that I didn't like are gone, like most of them to heaven, but some of them not. But I got to tell you, even after a Christian, they drove me nuts. And I wasn't always gracious. As a matter of fact, to my parents, when I became a Christian and we went to a liberal church, I was so obnoxious. I'm like, you guys don't read the Bible. You're not Christians. We never grew up in this. I mean, I was super obnoxious. I am now, but I was much more obnoxious then. <laughs> now they're Christians, and, you know, it's just a lot better. But even if they weren't, I should realize they don't see. I like Elizabeth Browning. I don't usually quote the poets, but T.S. Eliot and Browning are my favorite. She says this, earth is crammed with heaven, Every common bush of fire with God. Every common bush of fire with God. Yet only those who see him take off their shoes. The rest sit around eating blueberries. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the light of the universe, walked with tax collectors. Think about it. He touched lepers. He touched women that were unclean. He broke all kinds of tradition and walked around with Samaritans. He was a grace giver. He was amazing. And so the first thing we're called to is see Jesus. And if we see him, we will truly see him. We will receive him. Um, when you see a friend on the street, what do you do? What? You say, hi. What do you, if they're a really good friend, what do you do? You give them a hug, you go over and talk to them, right? If you see a friend and walk away from them and you grumble about them, maybe they hurt your feelings, but I'm talking about you're good with a friend and everything's fine, 
and you don't talk to them, what does that mean about your friendship? Huh? That means either they're not a good friend to you or you're not a good friend to them or you're totally defining friendship the wrong way. So if you see a friend, you receive them, you welcome them, right? In the Eastern culture, even today in Muslim culture, you, they welcome you in. They don't talk about religion right away. They welcome you in, Hebrew culture as well. And if we see Jesus, we are to receive him as a friend and as a brother, right? We greet him. Every morning we get up and say, hi, God. We can look in the mirror and say, hi, God, right? Because God's in us. So we don't see all the other things in the mirror that we don't like. So I love this. And, and um, if, you, if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. But the first word that Jesus says in John, the first word, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the two disciples come up to him and they're following him. And Jesus says, what are you seeking? Some translated says, who are you seeking? It's the first word. Seeking is to look to see, right? Who are you looking at? Who are you seeking? Who are you following? Who are you receiving? And you know what they do? They said, uh, uh, you know, God's asking them a question. They're speechless. So they think about it and go, hey, uh, where are you staying? Isn't that great? That's like me. I hate receiving. I'm not good at it. I don't like to ask. I'm an only child. My parents were public servants. So I'm a minister by like default because it's much easier for me to give and pour out than it is to ask. It's very humbling and it's not a good thing. Talked to my mother the other day who is 90 and she's baking cookies for people. I'm like, mom, just sit still. Mm. This is what Karen has to look forward to the rest of her life. Mom just is constantly giving. And I'm like, mom, sit still. And when people try to do things for her, she has an incredibly difficult time receiving. So a lot of times we want to receive, but we like hint at it, right? For those of us that are givers, we like hint at receiving. So they don't come out and say, I'm seeking you. They sort of put a foot in. Uh, like, hey, Jesus, um, where are you staying? And you know what he does? He doesn't rebuke them for not asking. He just invites them. And they stay for two days in communion. Wouldn't, wouldn't, can't you wait? to be in heaven. I mean, we right now have Jesus in us. It's an amazing thing, but we see through a glass dimly. One day, we will see face to face. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Okay, so a witness is one who recognizes and one who receives. Now, let's look at John for a minute. He was not only a witness, he was one who witnessed. Now, the question is, who was John? This is what happens. They ask him, who are you? If you look down there, if you look at verse, um, verse look at verse 19 with me, okay? Uh, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. In other words, the Jews from Jerusalem sent people to trick him up, just like they did Jesus, because they didn't really want to hear Tax collectors went, everybody else went, they were baptized. The baptism repentance simply, John was simply saying, turn around, drop your religion, this one's coming, 
focus on him, love him, receive him. That's what repentance means, okay? And they ask him, who are you? I love his answer. It is not the answer I give. Who are you? He confessed. He didn't say, well, you know, Tom Henry, I do this, this, or, you know, I went to Covenant Seminary or, you know, whatever, I Furman, played football, blah, 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 you know, married 50,000 kids with our new marriage and can't even count the brothers and sisters, nine grandchildren. I, I could say all that. You know what he says? I am not. He has a low self-esteem. <laughs> Who are you? He confessed, did not deny. This is the first thing he said. I am not the Christ. Some of us think we are. As a matter of fact, if you worship the self, if you're self-absorbed, if you're all of that, and if you're having a hard time with yourself, it's probably because you think more highly of yourself than you should. The first thing we need to say about ourselves is we're not God. We're not to follow ourselves. We're not even to think our own thoughts. You know, the thought that pops in your head, that's not necessarily reality. That's why the Bible says, think his thoughts after him. We're not to follow our affections because our affections are twisted. We're to have the heart of God. We're not to make our own choices. Us stubborn children declares the Lord, as Isaiah says, who make plans that are not mine and make alliances that are not of the spirit, right? Do we do that? We are not. Who are you? We're not. He didn't deny it. He confessed, I'm not the Christ. Then they asked him, okay, who are you? Elijah? Are you the prophet? Now, some commentators say Elijah's really Elijah and the prophet's Moses. But you see, who was John the Baptist? Who was he prophesied to be in Malachi? Anybody know? The coming Elijah, right? The coming prophet. He doesn't even know who he is. He gets his own self wrong. Total low self-esteem. God is, I, I did this I, for years in counseling, for years, the churches I was at, both churches, I just, people would come in and they were struggling and they were, they were in the wilderness and they were hurt. And I would basically say to them, you need to raise your self-esteem. You need to remember you're not a sinner. You know, the Bible says to the saints in Colossae, to the saints here, to the, you're a saint. And it didn't work. People didn't change. They got worse. And one day, Jack Miller, this guy that was my disciple, mentor, he's the one that says, cheer up, you're worse than you think. Cheer up, you're going to die. Cheer up, you're suffer. And I realized that the gospel, as Martin Luther said, is to make us feel bad first and then good. It's to tell us who we're not. So then we seek who can make us a new creature, a new creation, glorious. But we got to start with, I'm not. And it's okay if you underestimate yourself as long as, as long as you overestimate God. Reformed theology is a big God and a small me. However, John does get this, that he was sent by God. Every one of us in here, if you know God, you're sent by God. Even if you're a non-Christian today, you're sent by God, right? 
That's why whoever's here, if you can't take communion, if you haven't received Christ, we want you to get involved. Bring your friends. Realize that God's put you on a mission too. Now, the mission will be eternal and flourishing and better if you really get the heart of the mission, which is seeing Jesus. God's, we're all sent. We're all sent. He's sent by God as a witness. Now, where is he sent to? And where is he sent from? Anybody know where John is ministering? What's it called? He's in the wilderness. What's wilderness a picture of? Death, lions, and tigers, and bears. Okay? Darkness, ugliness, barrenness. And Jerusalem and Judea is barren. There's not, there's some oases, but it's mostly mountains and valleys. We are to go out to people as sent by God, as witnesses who witness in the wilderness. And you know why God takes you in the wilderness? So he can minister to them in the wilderness. Was John in the wilderness? Yeah. You know what his diet was? He ate locusts. I mean, really, come on. That's, that is, that's just terrible. And he had to wear camel's hair. I've never had a camel hair coat. Yeah, I did. It's scratchy, okay? That's what his life was. He's in the wilderness. He is out there, and he's in the wilderness, so that, and he invites people into the wilderness so that they realize life is not here. There's more to life than this. And yes, you're going to be broken. And yes, you're going to be, yes, there's darkness. As, the, as Paul says, death reigns in this life, but we reign in Jesus Christ. So in the wilderness, he invites people to himself. And you and I, to be effective, need to go into the wilderness of this city where people are broken. I love this church. And one of the reasons I came, one of the reasons, as Derek said, is you plant a church in the heart of West Charlotte. I'm like, I want to be part of that. Guys, is that exciting or what? Right? It's a great Christmas present to this city. And so John realizes who he is. He starts with he's not. But who he is is he's a witness. And he's a voice of God crying in the wilderness. That's what we're supposed to be. I'd like to look at the verse that he says. Well, you're not Elijah. You're not this. Who are you? They ask him again. Who are you? You've got to give us an answer. It would be great if people said to us, who are you? Because they're so stunned by our difference. Not our accent, not our skin color, not our economic strata, but something in us is puzzling and different. And they keep asking John again and again, who are you? Who are you? Because they hadn't seen any prophet like this. There hadn't been a prophet for 400 years, but something was in John Baptist. And you know what that something was? It was God. And God's now in us in even a fuller way. And we are, some people are going to see us and they're going to get mad because we make them feel uncomfortable. But others are going to see that and move not for, to death, but to life. Walker Percy is an amazing, amazing, anybody know who Walker Percy is? He's a North Carolina person. And he wrote a book called Lost in the Cosmos. And I just want to read a couple things. 
We can, lost in the cosmos means we are the self. We are the modern America. We're lost in the cosmos. He says this, we can know more in 10 minutes about Jupiter than we can in a lifetime spending time with ourselves. We walk by a mirror, look in it, we're startled by our reflection because someone can size us up in 10 minutes better than we can size ourselves up in a lifetime. The modern self, the autonomous self, has cut himself off from life. Mother Teresa came to America. You know what she said? It's the poorest country she's ever been to, poorer than India. John Cleaver says, the major emotion of the adult in America is disappointment. We have all these things. And he wrote this in 1981. He, he said that we're ghosts in the machine. We become ghosts. Lewis said we're flimsy, we're vapors. We have technology all around us and we're losing ourselves. And finally, you know what he says? You know what boredom is? It's the self stuffed with the self. Can anybody relate to that? When we have Christmas dinner with our friends or family tomorrow, guess what? The people that you sit with are in a battle. They're either going to be absorbed with themselves or they're going to be absorbed with Jesus Christ. And your job, your job is not to criticize, not to complain. Your job is to do everything you can to move them to Jesus. All right, and so finally, how does John do this? He says, he's a voice. He heard the word and he shares the word. He's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of God. We are all called to one mission, to make a straight path for people to God. If you're oppressed, we wanna lift them out of the valley of oppression. If you're arrogant, we wanna bring them down from the mountain of pride. Whatever we do as a church collectively, we are in the city or around the world to lift up the valleys and raise down the mountains in people's lives, in communities' lives, and make a straight highway to Jesus. We're to make it easy for people. And that's why Jesus says, the worst thing you can do is be an obstacle to someone else finding Jesus. If you're causing one of these little ones to stay in the valley, right, to stumble, it would be better for you then if they tied a rope around your neck and threw you into the sea. Those are hard words. But you and I are called to make a straight path for people. This is what Jesus says. I love this. Jesus started his ministry with these words. This is why he came. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's, the Lord has anointed me to do what? Proclaim good news to the poor. We have any poor in Charlotte? Any of us poor? Any of us poor, not in wealth, but poor in spirit or not in spirit? We're rich about our own thoughts. That's why we're here. That's why we minister to each other. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, not bad news, good news. Only the gospel can raise up the valleys. Only the gospel can bring down the mountains. The Republican Party can't do it unless they live out the gospel. Neither can the Democrats, neither can the communists, neither can any other country, the prime minister of England or the queen. Only the gospel lived out 
can change that. He, the Spirit is upon me. And even Jesus needed the Spirit. So how much more do we? We can't be a witness without the Spirit. Calvin says, these, this is the Holy Spirit in which we see God. He sent us to proclaim release to the prisoner. That's why we're to minister to the prisoner and the poor. To recover the sight of the blind. We're to help people see. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of God's favor. This could be the Christmas that changes your life and through you changes the life of those around you. You got to say amen to that. You're sent by God as a witness to witness. I'm going to close with somewhat, well, two stories. One's pretty depressing. Sorry, you're not supposed to do it, but I'm breaking rules, as usual. Netflix. I just got the subscription. My parents are paying for it. Thanks, Mom and Dad, because they let Karen talk to them about the crown. So, thank you. I have a couple slots open if you want to call me. But there's a new show. It's called The Most Hated Woman in America. Anybody see it? It's about the person that evangelicals love to talk about, or they did, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Anybody remember who she was? She was the one, on behalf of her son, that, that said we should not do prayer in school, right? We shouldn't do devotion in school. I remember doing prayer in school even in the Northeast. And she's been the most vilified, despised person from the evangelical community almost of all time. That's tragic. They will not have this on Netflix. But after she died and she was murdered, they found her diary and it said this, may someone somewhere love me. Brothers and sisters, this world is full of darkness. Death reigns, and people live in the wilderness of the self. It is time for you and I to be witnesses who witness and overflow with love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me for not witnessing and not witnessing. But now we have good news. We get to come and drink of your cup, the cup of the new covenant, and taste your flesh, the bread of God, who feeds us. Fill us, Lord. We cannot do this with the law. We cannot do this by Tom Henry giving all these people words. We can only be witnesses who witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we come to you now to confess that we're not. And we come to you now to receive the blessing of the pardon of the gospel. Amen.